So last year, I, I did the seven marathons, seven days, seven continents, and it was the pinnacle of my athletic career. I I'm, I'm, uh, just didn't think I could do it. I made it happen. My friends, my family are there like cheering me on. And, and despite that, I feel really empty because I wanted to you know, do it faster. I wanted to do it better. I envisioned how sweet this would feel and it feels good, but nowhere near as sweet as that. Uh, the girl I most wanted the finish line, my former girlfriend, isn't there. We've broken up. I'm feeling depressed. And I know what will make me feel better. If I just get two or three painkillers down the hatch, um, if I put some Vicodin down, I'm going to you know, numb this feeling. I'll be up on cloud nine. I'll be feeling good. Hey there, Recovery Nation, producer John here. In this very special episode of Full Potential Now, Ted sits down for a conversation with entrepreneur and ultramarathon runner, Greg Nance. Join us as Ted and Greg discuss alcoholism, addiction, and the perseverance to stick with recovery for the long haul. Don't go anywhere, you do not want to miss this. Moments ago, finished the World Marathon Challenge, Stage 1, Antarctica. And oh my goodness, it is cold, it is windy, it's bright, it is beautiful out here. Oh my goodness. World Marathon Challenge is off to an amazing start. I'm exhausted. I'm really, really cold. I need to warm up. I need to use the bathroom. I need to rehydrate and eat. But it's off to an amazing start, too. A lot of camaraderie on the course. All of us are struggling, but we're powering through it. It feels awesome to be here in Antarctica, making the most of just this amazing, amazing day out here. We're off to Cape Town in about two hours. Going to fly for six hours, then start running immediately. Seven days, seven marathons on seven continents. It's going to be awesome. When I first got approached about doing a podcast on Greg Dance, I honestly did not know much about him. So I decided to look Greg up on the internet and was completely blown away by this man's running accomplishments. I wondered first, what would ever possess someone to do seven marathons on seven continents in seven days? I mean, I've done an Ironman, and I thought that was kind of crazy. But seven marathons and seven continents in seven days? That really intrigued me. I also was wondering about his next goal of running 3,000 miles from New York to Washington State to celebrate his 3,000 days of sobriety and raise awareness about mental health and addiction problems in our country. He seemed like a man that could put his mind to something and no matter what, accomplish it. To be honest, I wondered about how could a guy this smart and this athletic ever get mixed up with alcohol or drugs? Greg Nance here. We are at the start line of the Dubai Intercontinental Marathon. Marathon number four in the World Marathon Challenge, powered by Wentworth. Super excited, but also a little anxious. The legs are very sore. They feel heavy. I'm tired. We're all tired. It is after midnight in Dubai, but we're about to take the leap. Independence is a journey. Here is marathon number four upcoming here in Dubai. Let's rock. I've always had just lots of energy and I've always been the kind of guy where um, I can focus in on a goal and just like go for it. So um, I think that part of my personality has been there since the beginning, always very driven, always uh, high energy and maybe even like obsessive about a goal, whether that's becoming the best shortstop I can be or the best point guard or debater that I can be. And so I uh, dealt with really the first really big challenge in my life when I was like 15. My uh, my grandfather, Grandpa Charlie, who was my, my childhood hero, this guy is a, uh, just an incredible, incredible person who was living with us and just felt the, the only adult that really kind of like understood me and could really like get me and, and we really clicked, spent a lot of time talking and just like learning life wisdom from this uh, incredible guy. 
uh, one day he goes from being one of the strongest people around to having a, a very debilitating stroke. So much so that he loses uh, balance and coordination. His ability to uh, even to speak is diminished. His ability to remember, uh, his mind slips, and it was uh, just totally, totally crush, crushing to to um, be right there with Grandpa Charlie and to not be able to help. I just felt totally powerless, and I felt overwhelmed with uh, just like sadness around this and with the uh, just really, really tough kind of being there but not being able to do anything and, and feeling powerless and I uh, I had just started kind of you know, drinking with my buddies and what I soon realized is hey you know that like emptiness and the pain I'm feeling well it kind of gets I think it's like the edge gets numbed when I put uh, 40 of malt liquor down the hatch or when I put uh, three solo cups of vodka. Um, when I chug that, I feel a little bit better. And before long, that goes from like a weekend thing to uh, even on school nights and before long, after, right after school. And then by the end of my junior year, it's literally in the parking lot before school, meeting up with a buddy, we're drinking some whiskey, going to class. and. It, uh, it it spirals where I'm from a, an affluent suburb. You know, I have a friend whose dad is a doctor. The dad is prescribing opiate painkillers. He's got a ton of opiate painkillers in his own medicine cabinet, and me and my buddies are just raiding that and developing a uh, you know what amounts to an addiction over time. And and all the while, as I'm getting you know, further and further into alcohol and painkillers. I am still doing pretty well. I'm getting good grades. I'm uh, the captain of the debate team. I'm literally like the state debate champion and um, winning races with my relay partners on the track team. And so looking at me, you don't see a, you know, some 18 year old alcoholic or like a, you know, aspiring junkie here. You see like what looks to be a successful kid who's like getting into college and seems to be happy. Uh, but all the while, it, part of the difficulty was I had these sort of two lives going in separate directions and I was earning these accolades and getting these scholarship offers and stuff and all the while I'm getting into fist fights and I'm driving drunk and I'm you know saying I just feel like a mean-spirited person while I'm drinking and drugging there and so and that continued for six seven years all the way through college and as uh, as many listeners know I mean college this sort of behavior is almost encouraged. You're a cool guy if you're drinking a bunch and partying hard. Um, and that's with a personality like mine, that's it seems a very dangerous thing when now like these like vices are applauded and are um, commended, you do even more of it. And so over time, I, I started digging a deeper and deeper hole um, therein. And, and the hardest part was I couldn't really acknowledge that to myself, let alone to, uh, to friends, family, loved ones either. Wow. Wow. So you're carrying on this double life and you sustain it, I think, for probably some time. Is there is there a place in your life when the rubber hits the road? Or then, you know, there, the proverbial uh, rock bottom. I mean, some people have them, some people don't. What's how did, how did it play out for you? Yeah, so I uh, I had a pretty amazing opportunity to college. I got a scholarship to go to my dream in school Cambridge for uh, for business school and um, it was actually paid for by Bill Gates and the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation so like really just like dream come true and I get off to England I'd actually never even been it's a totally new place it's very exciting but I'm also really lonely and I feel isolated I feel like kind of the, the pressure that comes with like great expectations and I want to get the most out of this experience and I have like all this nervous energy about it and I'm missing my now former girlfriend we, we've broken up uh, her into college and in order to kind of numb that pain uh, enter you know what amounts to a prolonged bender where I'm drinking every single day I have a uh, for the first time in my life, I've got a cocaine hookup, and so I'm um, doing a lot of that and just having a uh, um, what amounts to what feels like a great time in the moment. Like it's just wow, like the party is like right here. I'm like supplying this; it's so much fun. And pretty quickly, I, I I'm devolving. I'm like not not taking classes very seriously, not doing the homework, and uh, part of life is like kind of sliding off the rails. And um, but that's nothing in comparison to. 
running out of money in a foreign country and not being able to pay rent, uh, which is exactly what happened to me. And so I get um, hauled in front of the provost, who's like you know, one of the chief academic officers of, of this university. And he uh, literally calls me a disgrace. And he tells me, I, I know what you've been doing. I know how you've like, wasted that money. You are a disgrace. And that, um, for me was was a rock bottom moment uh, in, in part because the two worlds hadn't collided before in that way you know I knew some people knew me like, hey this like degenerate guy but those weren't you know the suit and ties at in the nonprofit world world or in the university uh, ecosystem those were like my drug or you know, drinking buddies and so this was a uh, this was a rough one where I let the two worlds tangle and uh, the drinking drug world really was screwing up the uh you know, this high achieving and me actually trying to like do good in the world uh, side of it. And so much so that you know, this fellow is threatening, hey, um, expulsion or deportation. And it's like, whoa, that's really, really serious. And this would completely destroy this dream that I actually worked really, really hard for over a number of years. And so that was a, uh, that was, that was a big wake up call. And I, I consider that the, uh, the kind of most immediate rock bottom before I turn things around. So, you know, rewinding the tape, the fist fights, the three ER visits, I don't remember. Uh, you know, I could actually point to a variety of what felt like rock bottoms in the moment, though I still found a way to dig deeper. So that that final moment in Cambridge, England, in uh, December 2011, I'd say was the uh, definitive rock bottom there. So, so the two worlds, it, it's interesting you describe it that way, Greg, because I think there's a lot of people out here that just kind of associate somebody gets addicted, they just go down the tubes and their whole life goes down the tubes. When in fact, I mean, I've been in the addiction business for many years. And what I see is the kind, there's this other type or profile, which is kind of similar to your profile, where you can sustain it for several years. Eventually, according to sort of like the house of cards collapses, but you're able to do it for such a long period of time. Um, so then you hit this, you know, the, the other side of the world takes over your life. What do you do at that point? Yeah, in, in this case, I was I was overwhelmed. Like I, it felt like a hopeless situation because I'm I've blown all this money. I have have no. You're not allowed to work in England if you're not an English citizen. So like I'm out of a. Uh, if you're shooting over there, so like, I don't even know what to do. And so the, I turn to my running shoes, I lace up, and I run out into the hills around Cambridge, England. And I uh, just ran as far and as fast as I could. And I, I remember feeling the burning in my legs and my lungs. And it felt like just amazing. And it felt liberating. And it felt totally freeing. And I remember just feeling like, wow, like I feel like really good right now. And there's no... You know, illicit substances or booze in my system. This is just me going for it. And so, uh, and I think that's been how I've reacted to, I think, a lot of challenges in my life over the years is there are very few things that strapping on your running shoes and heading out for a jog can't uh, can't help you think through or can't help, you know, find some tranquility and some peace uh, as you go. So this is like a profound moment. So, you, you, so at the time, you're in the midst of alcohol, drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. You're, you're getting bounced out of college. You, you don't have any money. You're going to get deported. You lace up your running shoes and take off running lace into the running. hills. Yeah, hey, and that's uh, yeah, it's that's exactly what I do. And I feel uh, I get back from this run, and if the problems aren't solved, but at least like my my own mindset is getting closer to where it needs to be to work through this. And part of that was. You know, make, making amends, like apologizing to, you know, I was late to my, uh, uh, the landlord, hey, like, I'm really sorry, I screwed this up, you know, give me some time, I want to you know, make this right, and, and at that point, I'm out of money, that makes it easier not to be doing drugs, because I wasn't in a place where I was going to rob somebody or, you know, steal to, to, to fund it, so it, uh, yeah, it, it ended up being, you know, looking back, it was a, uh, there was some profound nature in it, and especially because I was able to stick with it because I made, you know, I vowed, vowed to myself in the mirror 250 Saturdays probably over the years, I can never drink again. Like what I did last night was so like crazy or dumb or stupid, I can never drink again. And yet 10 hours later, I'm drinking again. Um, and I'm, I'm buzzed and making the same declaration, you know, Sunday morning, the other day following. So uh, the this time it stuck. And 
I'm not sure, but by the grace of God, like how that happened, and yet it did, and that's part of the beauty of these 3,000 days. Like I never thought day day two was going to happen for me, let alone 3,000. We're about 22 miles deep in Madrid. It's real chilly, about 30 degrees. Hands are numbed. I'm not moving quick enough to stay warm. I'm sweating, sweating out a fever over here. Uncomfortable and out of calories, but this is exactly a win. We gotta dig deep and keep going. We hit this point every single race. There's some wall out there, and the key is just to bowl through it. So as the interview went on, I wondered how Greg has handled his goal of sobriety. Is he a one day at a time guy? Did he complete like alcohol and drug treatment, residential treatment? Does he go to AA meetings? Or does he do none of that and just stay sober because he's Greg? I mean, Greg just seems so motivated to accomplish just about anything that he could probably do it with sobriety. I mean, when we look at his long athletic accolades, it really speaks to the fact that once he puts his mind to it, he probably will get it done. But as the interview went on, I learned that Greg is just like all of us, or anybody going through an addiction, trying to get sober. You need support, and you have to eventually become honest with yourself. Sort of like any kind of life problem. So have you done the whole one day at a time thing and just kind of staying focused in on your life? What do you think has been some of the strategies that you've been able to piece together these days? And before you respond, this idea of making the proclamation in front of the mirror, I think so many people can identify with that. Like, I'm not going to drink. All right, I'm done. This is the last time. And then sort of like the mindset, the rationalizations all creep in and then you fall back into it. But this time, great time. Yeah, this time it sticks. This time it sticks, and you know the one day at a time piece like that. That does, you know, uh, there, there's some profound beauty and simplicity to that. For sure. um, I think for me, if I'm really breaking it down, I uh, initially, so I was on the boxing team at, the, at Cambridge, and I had to cut a bunch of weight in order to get down into fighting shape um, to make weight and so um, part of what helped me get going was like I just booze was extra calories and so like I just couldn't uh, just decided I had to get down to weight they weighed you every day like before practice to see where you were at and so that was actually a helpful device and just like staying with it because I I needed to cut weight I also didn't have any money so like those two things together uh, as far as like yeah what was the mindset it very much was I usually drink after class like I can't go to the pub I need to get out of like the environment that's going to like tempt me to do this or a place where like a friend will buy me a drink so if I just go back to my apartment I have some tea get some work done then go for that jog and so running became a when I was really feeling like I need need like to have a drink, I would actually just head out for like a jog. And even if it was like just a run around the block, you know, quarter mile or half mile, that uh, that was really really helpful. I I wasn't doing like you know, I wasn't working the steps. I wasn't um, going to meetings. I didn't have a uh, you know a sponsor at hand, um, and I wasn't actually honest with myself or with others about the extent of the problem. And so like even friends like oh like you're not drinking, I would, I would play off with. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm just feeling. Yeah, yeah, I feel. I feel a little bit better with you know, need to need to rehydrate and you know, kind of make some joke about it as opposed to acknowledging. Hey, like I think I have a pretty serious problem. I'm trying to get past it, and so yeah, we're kind of working through. And slowly, you start finding your path, and then it becomes part of your identity. Like, hey, I'm actually not drinking because I want to live a better version of my life, and it requires me not drinking to do that. This is so interesting to me. So you never went to like rehab or residential treatment for addiction or counseling. You just did this on your own. I, so I'm very, very fortunate because I think those are, you know, I, I've, for a lot of people, I think treatment or residential centers or 
working in steps and program, all of that can be immensely helpful and supportive, and supportive for folks. Um, in my case, I didn't. And I think part of that is my, my ego and my pride where I didn't want to acknowledge that I had a problem. And if I went to rehab, it's like, that's, that's admitting you've got a problem, right? Whereas it was obvious it's obvious to me in retrospect, hey, like I did have a problem and uh, very, very fortunate that I think uh, you know, part of my kind of thick skull and stubbornness, uh, which was the worst enemy initially became an ally in kind of seeing this through and sticking it through even when, you know, times are tough and you're facing setbacks and you want to resort to familiar, you know, drink or drug. Well, I'm not going to because I've got this thick skull and I'm going to stick with this, you know, new pledge I'm on. Yeah, so so this what's fascinating to me about your story is because it's a story that we oftentimes don't run into. So what the research shows is that ten percent of people with an alcohol and drug issue will actually show up at the treatment doors. So there's mm. this other ninety percent actually running around either actively addicted, right, actively, or mm. treating themselves. Some successful, some not. And so a new area of research is tracking down these people that have been able, not to say that you've done it alone. I mean, obviously you recognize you need support and, um, and, and I think it sounds like you probably become more honest with yourself over time just naturally. I mean, the fact that maybe you hid it from your friends in the beginning and now you're going to make a public mm. proclamation that you're going to run 3000 miles to celebrate 3000 days of sobriety. I would have to say there's, been a little bit of coming to terms with that and being fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what's fascinating to me about you is you decided that you're part of this other 90% running around that figured it out. And maybe it was a, you know, maybe a stoke of luck. I, I don't know. But you just, you obviously have this mindset, number one. And number two is you discover this outlet running, which we know physiology-wise creates changes, mood-wise, mm. endorphins, mm. et cetera. Um, but I like what you said. You said even on that run, that, that, you know, the big run when you were at your rock bottom, you took off running and you came back. But you knew you didn't, it didn't give you the answers, you still had the problems mm. when you got back, but you had clarity that you could get through it. And yeah. so I think that's interesting in itself. So, um, and the other thing we're seeing in the research is people that do it sort of like on their own, even though I, I get it, you have support. Mm. You do a lot of the things that people that go to rehab do. Like you just said it, like mm. I avoid my high risk situations. I get some alternative activities yeah. I start feeling better about myself. I pursue some goals. Um, so it's kind of all the ingredients are still there, but it's kind of, I, I'm glad I ran into you because this is like a great story that there can be other ways people can go. And it's not to say that your way is the only way because some people probably do need rehab, um, yeah. do need extra support like that or that type of support. So interesting. Yeah, and, and part of it, yeah, is I've, I've always been like a goal-oriented person, right? And so the, the, the frustrating part about this is I had the goal to like stop. Like I, I know this is bad for me. I keep doing it. And I had that goal for literally years. And it was a, just a frontier I couldn't kind of push through, couldn't get on top of. And, um, again, things just started clicking. And the, the running part was you know, an aspect of it. And I think there's also like – you know, it's somewhere in the ether there. I think God works in mysterious ways. And that was my moment to finally get the act together. So, um, and, and your observation is right. Like I've, I've, I have kind of come full circle on this and in part because as I've begun sharing my own journey with, uh, with friends and, and loved ones, I'm realizing that literally everyone I've spoken to has a connection to addiction. And whether it's like on a personal level, like facing some of the same demons or, uh, you know, in one case, one of my best friends in Shanghai, where I've been doing uh, working for uh, working on a startup for the last several years, one of my best my best friends, a fellow from Georgia, uh, had a really emotional moment as I was sharing my story and shared his connection to addiction. Where he's got a brother that has been uh, dealing with a meth addiction for quite some time. I had no idea, and this guy's one of my close friends, and yet I had no idea because of the stigma. He had no idea about my own drinking past, 
because of the stigma. And that was just like the one of these moments of, hey, this is so crazy. Like so many of us are dealing with this challenge, with this problem in, in various you know ways. And yet we can't be honest with each other because of like this, this you know, bizarre social stigma that's telling us that you're morally defective or you're somewhat you're corrupted or you're a bad person. When no, actually, you can be a very good person and dealing with a big challenge in your life. And if anything, let's tip our cap to people honestly struggling that are working through stuff the best they can and let's figure out how to support them. And so that, uh, that's been kind of my mentality over the last year plus, And that's really where like the fuel for this run across America comes from. So do you think like, as we talk about the fuel for this run, you, and I've discovered this too, when you are vulnerable and share your own struggles and with your own story, mm-hmm. it can be with addiction, it can be with maybe mental health issues, it can be with whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But there's something, it, it, it's so difficult to do in the beginning, yet when you do it, you do it. And mm-hmm. so often I've heard this and I've experienced this on a personal level, seen it at a professional level, you get, you get it back like tenfold. It's just the strangest mm-hmm. thing. It's, you're just telling your story, but it resonates with somebody else. It's not only freeing for you, mm-hmm. it almost like opens a portal for them so oftentimes. You know, it's, it's beautiful because I think in, you know, in America, we have a, a way too often. It's like, let me give you my best, like the, the best possible portrait of myself uh, on my Instagram feed or on like my LinkedIn CV. Or as a speaker or panelist, I'm going to tell you what the insights and expertise I have. Whereas like we are three dimensional, 360 degree people. And part of that are flaws and part of that are challenges that we work through. And and like, you know, defects, things that we would probably change if we could. And yet uh, addiction and mental health um, issues are uh, kind of like clouded away there where it's almost like not appropriate to talk about that or to acknowledge the challenge. And yet uh, in my view, there are 40 million people dealing with alcohol and substance uh, uh, substance abuse uh, addiction. And how you know, that's a massive, massive crisis, 40 million people. And yet we're not, it's one in seven people. And yet we're not even, you know, talking about it, let alone coming up with real solutions and support. So, so and, yeah, my perspective is we've got to start talking about this openly and honestly. And you're right, when it really starts, I think, with one person sharing and I was very lucky I've had people in my life that have been very vulnerable that have kind of sh- like shown me what it is to actually share and to, to kind of open your heart there and it's really tough I'm so awkward it's 10 30 I'm so awkward talking about it now but I'm uh, trying to get a little bit better and, and find a little bit more courage so that we can hopefully you know be a spark and be a light for more folks yeah that's that is so awesome I, I love this idea of embracing our own challenges, our own failures, our own flaws, because I think you're so spot on with this, the way we've gotten in America with the, it's our Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is, presentation, you know, Mm -hmm. our picture fixed properly to make us look better than what we actually probably are. I need the help. Yeah, give me the best lighting possible, please. (laughs) And then I know like hanging out with all these, with some of these ultra guys, wolfing down cliff bars and whatever else. <laughs> For sure. You definitely don't look your best when you finish a race. <laughs> no, no way. But you probably look the most authentic you'll probably ever be seen. Oh, totally. Biggest smile. And you know the smile, man. It's like you go through these really, really difficult things and you evolve as you do them. And that's part of my mentality is like take on big challenges because you you become a better version of yourself when you've got to be disciplined and you got to be focused and when you risk failure to make it happen. And, you know, I, I do it through long distance running and I respect anyone that's getting on a bike and swimming and then running. I mean, that's, uh, there's a beauty to that. And you're not every listener can be a triathlete or an ultra runner, but find out what that challenge can be in your life. It helps elevate you and your game, gives you a sense of purpose and the feeling of satisfaction. There's really few things compared to achieving a big goal. And especially when you're dealing with, you know, friends, family, loved ones around, that can be a wonderful foundation for you to recreate the kind of life that you've always envisioned for yourself, but maybe it's been blocked by addiction or blocked by mental health issues. Very well said. I want to dive deep into this. 
we're going to kind of veer off the track of my normal questions. But I think about like this idea of doing an epic run. And most people would probably Mm -hmm. like read your bio and be like, 3,000 miles, this guy's got it. I mean, this guy's done it all. I mean, didn't you even swim across the Nile once? (laughs) Is that? (laughs) I did, yeah. Not my best idea. (laughs) Was there snakes in there? (laughs) Not that I I saw, but probably. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've done... Swimming too quick, the snakes. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've done some cold... Like, you've been out in the desert running too, right? I, I love, love, yeah, I love the desert, the jungle, and the mountains for running. Those are my three favorite kind of ecosystems. Yeah, and you say that I, I just love those are my three favorite ecosystems. That is such, <laughs> such. It almost makes me want to do it. <laughs> hey, Roger, invite it. Come on down. <laughs> look at some of his finishing race photos. Just take a look at those. <laughs> but here's what I want to do. Man, here's what I want to dive deep into, my brother. When you're out, so 3,000 miles, most people would chalk you up as, oh, this guy's got it in the bag. But I know when you, you, you've you set an epic goal here, there's no guarantee you're going to make it. And you've been around the block a thousand times over in these ultra runs, and you know probably a lot of shit can happen when you're out there. Yep. So... What I want to say is, like somebody, I want to relate this a little bit to recovery too, because I think there's, a, I think there's a parallel here, like yeah. being scared, setting a goal, being fearful or scared. How do you work through that in the beginning, and then while you're trying to get there? Totally. So number one, I uh, you got to take the leap. So. I, I think you can really kill a lot of dreams by analyzing them logically and rationally because a dream like this is so far out of reach for, for every single one of us, including me. Um, and that's how a lot of goals and dreams are. They, they feel crazy. So my my first idea is take the leap. Um, and Richard Branson, the, uh, the fellow behind the Virgin Companies, he got a great adage, screw it, let's do it. And I think uh, it's really liberating when you just say, like, I'm going for it and, you know, screw the odds. Like, I'm going to make this happen. And that really is the beginning. It's, it's a sort of an affirmation and it's just believing in the universe that it's, it's going to work out as you go. Um, so that's number one. Then I'm a big believer in reverse engineering, figuring out, hey, like, what do we actually need to do to get prepared for this? What are we going to need to do to be fit mentally? physically, spiritually for a really, really big challenge. And then I started kind of breaking it down. And for me, I'm realizing I've got to run a bunch of miles to get myself ready to do this. Okay, cool. Like I need to start training. Um, I'm averaging about hundred miles a week right now, getting the legs ready. And when you're running hundred miles a week, everything starts getting sore and you, you can lose flexibility pretty quickly and get higher risk of injury. So I need to combat that with morning and evening stretching. And in order to regenerate my muscles faster, I need more protein. And so you basically start going through your life and like all these little components of more sleep, more protein, more stretching, more running, and start kind of coming through. And I think both of those apply to recovery where you've got to take the leap. And the reason why we use drugs, we use alcohol, we use stimulants is because it helps often mask pain that we're feeling. It helps us feel a sense of peace uh, and a sense of comfort, at least momentarily. Um, and yet it, we've got to uh, realize that, look, there is a life beyond all that. And we're going to, we're, we're not, we might not feel better without drugs, but we're going to feel more. And life is a more vibrant place when you're really feeling uh, instead of just numbing yourself um, to all that. And um, so we take the leap and we will be fearful. I'm fearful every day, like every single day stuff comes up where, Oh, like, how's that going to work out? I'm nervous. I'm scared. I, you know, I'm fearful. And yet if you, if you trust in the universe and you just keep kind of rolling forward, reverse engineering what you're trying to accomplish in a small kind of daily actions. And I'm a, I'm a creature of habits. So I just try to create little habits that work for me. And that's been the key to 3000 plus days of sobriety. Uh, namely, Hey, when I'm getting nervous energy, go for a jog. You don't need to go crack open a bottle of malt liquor, go for a jog and uh, finding out what it is in your life that helps you uh, kind of get that peace, get that tranquility without relapsing. Uh, I think is a big key too. Hola, 
from San Diego, Chile. We are just a few minutes away from starting marathon number six. Legs are extra tired, we are fatigued, but after 16 hours of flying, there's a little bit of rest and rejuvenation, and the finish line for the first time feels to be in sight. We've got a dirt track course here. Take a look in Santiago in a beautiful public square park. We'll be doing a bunch of loops here, and it's gonna be real tough, but I know each of us are in it to win it, and so we're just a few minutes away from getting going. Thank you to Wentworth for helping me take the leap here. Independence is a journey. We're learning that lesson day in, day out here during the World Marathon Challenge powered by Wentworth. Let's get to it. As Greg talked more during the interview, his insight and ability to look at himself and have a growth mindset seemed to be second to none. He was always trying to improve himself and better himself. Used this with running, it seemed like with all kinds of athletics, and now he was using it with his sobriety. He appeared to really have come to terms with his addiction. Yet as I spoke, I wondered, was his addiction just in the past and he was on cruise control right now? I like that idea of reverse engineering and just kind of like this idea of of tracing it back and and uh kind of figuring out what you need to do to to get to the goal. And I like this part that when you start, when you jump in, shit happens. Like you might think uh, like, hey, I'm going to run 100 miles a day, but all right, wait a second, man, my legs are killing me. I got to incorporate some <laughs> stretching, right? Like, so, you, yeah. so I think there's like courageous points that happen. One is the initial jump in. And then how do you keep the courage going to take on those unknown obstacles that are going to pop up? Like when you're in recovery, Mm -hmm. the temptations that are going to pop up and what are you going to do with those? And I think your idea is like, think them through, right? No, big time. And part of the beauty is once you actually have momentum, I think it's easier. I, uh, I, you know, I'll give you a pretty recent example. So last year, I, I did the seven marathon, seven days, seven continents, and it was the pinnacle of my you know, athletic career. I'm, I'm uh, just didn't think I could do it. I made it happen. My friends, my family are there, like cheering me on, and and despite that, I feel really empty because I wanted to you know, do it faster. I wanted to do it better. I envisioned how sweet this would feel, and it feels good, but. Nowhere near as sweet as that. Uh, the girl I most wanted the finish line, my former girlfriend, isn't there. We've broken up. I'm feeling depressed. And I know what will make me feel better. I, if I just get two or three painkillers down the hatch, um, if I put some Vicodin down, I'm going to you know, numb this feeling. I'll be up on cloud nine. I'll be feeling good. And I luck- luckily caught myself before I was able to score there. And Seven plus years had passed since I had abused you know, opiates, and here I am trying to score. And so it's like, whoa! And so even you, know, you got to build momentum. It, it can make it a little bit easier. You can you can at least catch yourself. But many of us are going to stumble, and you know, I stumbled. I'm I'm just lucky I was in Miami where I don't have good connections, and by the time I'm back in Seattle, and um, I realize, hey, like that's not the life if I want to live. I don't want to ever go down that path again. And so you, uh, you will build momentum. And I think even with that momentum, you're going to face obstacles, you're going to face challenges, but at least you have some kind of self-belief that you can make it through. Cause if I had, you know, just a few days or a couple of weeks of, uh, clean and sober, well, Hey, like that makes it even easier to come off, come off the path. So those just starting stick with it. I think the hardest days are the very beginning is you're building that new identity, those new habits, uh, and you're learning to kind of reverse engineer those behaviors. And it, it's really, really tough. And even eight plus years in, you still can stumble as I did, but you know, try to keep your, get yourself back on the horse as quickly as you can and learn from those mistakes and just try to move it forward. So th- this is amazing in itself. So you're saying you had seven years clean. Yep. You run seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents. You're at the, the pinnacle, right? The mountaintop. Yep. You complete them. Yep. You cross the finish line and you have some disappointment. I do. Yep. And you think about using, ironically enough, out of everything. I know. Makes no sense. I know. Yeah. But it is so. Makes no sense. 
Greg, it is so real. This is this is the stuff people don't talk about. They, you know, they think like, you know, they would look at your profile and they'd say, this guy's got his shit totally together. He's an ultra marathoner. He's done like things people couldn't even fathom doing. Here he completes this thing on seven different continents, seven runs at seven, you know, in seven different continents. And you think like he's got it and you're saying I'm vulnerable. It can even creep up on me. I'm look probably lucky on some circumstance. I didn't have any connections in Miami or wherever I was. So I think that's really good. Yeah. That I, I really appreciate your honesty about this. Cause I've, you know, I been around the recovery world so long that, you know, everybody has their different shades on it and different takes on it. But I, I really appreciate your vulnerability. And cause I think it speaks to not only how difficult and courageous you need to be to undertake the journey of recovery, but even when you're sailing along, there's going to be things that come up. And this is no different than life. Right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, this is life. <laughs> we, <laughs> unexpected shit comes up in life. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's really how do you, that stuff will come. That's, that's a, a virtual certainty. How do you react? How do you respond? And, you know, I, uh, I failed kind of the initial test. You know, I picked up the phone, tried to score, and then only kind of like caught myself by the second and third test. And so, sometimes that's life too. Like we as humans are fallible. We're going to stumble. And when we stumble, how quickly can we catch ourselves? I think that's the key. And it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a journey. And you know, that, that really, that experience in Miami back in this was February 7th, 2019, that, uh, that early morning hours is what got me uh, having the first conversations where I acknowledged, hey, like, I am an addict. And for years, I've been in denial about all this because I just I didn't want to be an addict. It's like I, I want to be a successful guy. I want to just be a crazy runner. I don't want to have I don't want to acknowledge these demons that have you know, been been in my life. And yet, like, it's irresponsible not to, because if I don't, they sneak up with that much more power over me. Than if I'm acknowledging, and if you're actually sharing, you know, openly and honestly with people in your life, you actually have support and encouragement on the journey. That you're a lot weaker if you're by yourself. You know, if you want to, uh, if you want a sustainable path, it takes a village. Village, and um, I'm really fortunate to have that now that I've been honest with myself first and foremost. Um, because when you're honest with yourself, you're then able to have the courage to, to be honest with that with others, and that. Um, it is a journey. I think it's just, yeah, I'm on chapter one of my journey is, is the way I think about it. And we, uh, each one of us can be a little bit better, a little bit uh, stronger version of ourselves day by day by day by day. And it, it takes some intentionality. It takes some focus. Um, but we're on the journey. And this is, this really blows me away, Greg, from the standpoint of this is like a year ago or whatever, a year and four months or whatever. And you have a major breakthrough in your recovery. You're seven years in. You're living the life. Seven years in. And you have a profound moment at the mountaintop. (laughs) The most unexpected place, right? You're going to just ride this out. This is like a great, huge feat. And whammo, it almost like is a humbling experience. You go right back to thinking about using but yet that experience, mm-hmm. so you put yourself in the experience seven years down the road of doing this, but this is the unexpected thing that happened. It didn't mm-hmm. go hey. the way you thought it was going to go, but yet it morphs you into becoming more honest about your own struggles, which then leads to all these hey. other experiences, which then leads you to us talking today about <laughs> no, that that's uh, you. You are uh, your 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 encapsulation there is is right on, and much better than I could have said it. So yeah, it's um, I do feel very very fortunate for that. And you're right in the most kind of unexpected of ways and places. And you know, God works in mysterious ways. So that's one more case of how all of this kind of clicks together. Yeah, well, incredible, incredible. Well, I have all these questions, but we're kind of answering them as we go. So any words of wisdom for people struggling with addiction or in recovery? I always think of like, because I get calls a lot of times of people just thinking about, you know, I want to get in recovery. I've been on the bubble. 
you know, I really should do mm-hmm. something about this. Um, it always seems like there's fear. There's so much fear about it, which I get. And, and you take so much courage. But what would you say to that listener who maybe might stumble into this podcast and they hear you talking and they're thinking about getting in recovery? What would be uh, your thoughts on that? What would you want to say to them? I uh, I would encourage them wholeheartedly to, uh, to take the leap there. And the thing that works for me is following my smile. Uh, so it sounds cheesy, but I think there's a little bit of wisdom there. If you follow your smile, you figure out what actually really makes you happy. The thing where time kind of flies by when you're doing it and you just feel good when you're doing it, that is likely an authentic direction for you. And it can be as simple as going for a walk with my, with my daughter or enjoying the sunrise or sunset. In my case, I love running. So throwing my running shoes and going for it or painting or playing the drums or harmonica, reading, praying, whatever it is. I think there's, there are things in your life that make you smile and building more of your life around that, uh, I think can be really, really helpful in getting to a place where you can move beyond. Um, I realized in my own life, pursuing shiny objects, you know, various accolades and trophies and awards and recognition, uh, was very, very shallow and very hollow. And as soon as I achieved something, I would just want more. You know, I was addicted to achievement. Uh, and I think I still am, but I'm able to, uh, with running and then with trying to do legitimate service and legitimately helping other people, especially in my case, students. I love mentoring and working with, with young people to help them find their path. Helping them find their path helps me find my path. And so that's how I'm following my smile. So my advice for those trying to take those first steps or trying to kind of stay on their early path, follow your smile and magic tends to happen. I love that, man. That is so easy to remember. Follow your smile. This is so good. Do things, and if you're smiling, probably do more of them, you know, if, it, if they're helpful. <laughs> so good. Um, any resources or things that you would, favorite books you've read that had a profound impact, podcasts, online stuff, you know, like maybe a couple things that might come to mind that you would recommend for somebody? Yeah, totally. So the uh – Actually, this is funny time on questions. I just finished Russell Brand, the uh, British comedian. He, oh, he wrote uh, a book called Recovery. And uh, wow, it's really, really good. I, I, I think he's funny. So I picked up the book saying, hey, what's he going to say about you know addiction? And uh, I didn't know the extent of his story. Um, you know, multi, you know, addiction on multiple fronts, ranging from heroin and alcohol to, uh, sex and, and chocolate and screens and, uh, fame. You know, you, you go through the list, the, the gentleman has, uh, battled a number of, uh, a number of demons there, but very, very actionable book. Actually, it, it uses a 12 step framework and, um, has helped me kind of understand the 12 steps in a totally new perspective and in a new light. So anyone that's maybe struggled a little bit to find a program or find a rhythm or just wants to learn more about how someone that had a variety of vices, uh, has really turned their life around. Um, I highly recommend you Russell Brand and the book called recovery. Excellent. Excellent. I've read it. You guys phenomenal. Yeah. And he's funny. Wow, we have one story. And yeah, hilarious. I mean, he makes this up really funny. It's just, 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 wow, what a talent. So. <laughs> he appeared in, I can't remember, I saw this video, YouTube clip. He appeared to testify on like funding for addiction centers. And he, this is like many years ago. He walks in, he's got like the leather jacket on. He's just totally. <laughs> This is Russell Brand. And then he taught, like, that dude is so smart. He oh, really man. knows yeah, his stuff. And that totally, yeah. blows everybody away. I just thought it was really good. Yeah, well, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. Well, anything, um, just maybe fill in our viewers about maybe what you're up to currently. I mean, obviously, you're going to do this big. You, you know when you're going to do the run? 
Yeah, so I'd love to share a little bit more on our, our mission and yes. behind the scenes. So initially, we were planning for a September start, um, so a couple months away. Given COVID um, and potential like second wave, I think there's decent odds we get pushed to spring uh, 2020, 2021 to actually start the run. Um, mainly, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, get anybody sick, and if I'm traveling running across the country, I think the probability of us becoming a vector for the virus is uh, – it's non-zero, and I, I don't want to yeah. be part of creating as we go. So, uh, unfortunately, we're going to likely push back. Though I'm treating that as it's a chance for me to be even stronger by the time we're starting. And so, I'm trying to make the most of each day and control uh, what I can control. The uh, the second kind of part of this, which I haven't mentioned, but I'm really, really excited about, I am. Uh, so listeners can realize I'm, I'm a little crazy. Um, you've gathered that from the, the 45 minutes we've had together. Um, I've luckily hooked a filmmaker, a director who's equally crazy. Her name is uh, Sarah Shetsky, and she's a remarkable uh, lady artist filmmaker. We are actually going to uh, create documentary about the run across America. And the thing that I think is going to make this a a special experience is the, the theme that we're exploring is how we can better overcome addiction uh, and how we can better support addicts as we um, uh, in America. And we're going to tell that through the lens of this guy running across the country, meeting folks uh, at various stages of uh, their own recovery journey. And the aim is to um, tell some incredible stories, help inspire viewers that overcoming addiction is a marathon, not a sprint. Oh, I love that. I love that. Are you going to have people running with you, man? I, I hope so. And Ted, it would be great to get a few miles in, man, if we can meet up. Oh, I, man, pencil me in. Pencil me oh. in. I'm, I'm down Boom. with it, Greg. I'm totally down with it. Awesome, man. And yeah, I, I'm going to need it because this is uh, by far the biggest, craziest thing I've done. And um, I know I'm going to be falling apart. And so like getting folks out there and talking recovery and just getting fire, fired up and getting antsy today, I think it's going to be critical to keep the pace and just keep moving west. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I can do it. I would, man, I'm in for supporting you completely on this. If I can oh, orchestrate hey. something and maybe organize something as you go by Wisconsin, are you going to go through like Illinois awesome, or something? Man. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Gary, Indiana, Chicago, up through Wisco. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally in, dude. I'll, I'll give you all my effort Ooh. just to pull something together. I for love you. it. Man. We're gonna have an RV, so you're welcome to have the, the VIP couch in the RV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting to be an old guy, dude. <laughs> yeah. My knees are getting. Crazy. My knees are getting. You're crazy, crazy. Too. Yeah. Hey, um, what'd you say? Yeah, you're starting to feel your knees. Me too. I mean, that's that's part of the game. You got to keep keep it going. See, see, my my dilemma if I run with you is I can't really complain because you'd be like, dude, I've been out here for like a thousand miles. (laughs) (laughs) I like it though. I'll push myself to go further. That'll be good. Yeah, keep me posted because well, I'll I'll do I'm a little training too. This will be this will be fun, man. Hey, do you have time for the speed round questions? I absolutely do. Let's rock. All right, we'll give you thirty seconds for each one. If you could have learned something earlier about recovery, what would have that been? If I could learn something earlier, I would have learned the power of being honest with those closest to me. So really acknowledging the extent of the challenge. And if I had learned that, I think I, it would have been smoother sailing, but it would have taken a lot of courage to have those, have those conversations sooner. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Isn't it? You know, we always get so complex about this stuff, facing fears, having courage and being honest. <laughs> a lot. Um, yep. All right. What was your favorite race to run? Do you have any favorite top favorite eight? race? Yeah, the two, I'll give you two if that's okay. So one uh, was it's called the Atacama Desert in Chile, and it's the world's driest non-polar desert. My reason why it's my favorite it's beautiful, and I got to run all 155 miles with my dad, Ed, who's also a runner. So it was a really wow, special, a special experience. Moment. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> you guys both. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> 
That'd be the, the ultimate great Father's Day. This is what we did on Father's Day. We decided to run 155 miles. <laughs> totally. And we, I think we, we made the pact on Father's Day. And so then we trained for a year and went and did it. So it, it was really, really special. Oh, that is very cool. And then you, do you have a second race that you were thinking of? The, the second uh, is uh, three months after that, I, I ran a marathon in Antarctica, which was all kinds of surreal and amazing. Um, that was the first race in the World Marathon Challenge. And so the legs were fresh, and it's such a just beautifully surreal, you know, white expanse. And running 26.2 miles over ice was a, uh, was a special experience. <laughs> see, see, dude, I've done a few long things, and... Would use the word special. <laughs> I know that, that there's multiple words after that that actually equal special. You leave all those other words out. <laughs> my feet were killing me. My toes were frozen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wind burned. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there ever a time you felt like quitting in the middle of a race? There, there have been. Um, I've, uh, I sprained my knee halfway through a, an ultra in the Gobi Desert. Uh, so I had 75 miles to go, sprained my knee, and uh, basically had to limp and hobble and then literally crawl to, uh, to, uh, to make it the 75 next miles. And during that, I felt very, very sorry for myself. And it was effectively like a you know, a 30 hour pity party of, you know, woe is me out here. Um, and I just had to remember like, how lucky am I actually? I'm in the middle of this incredible landscape. It's me and my thoughts and these, you know, circling like big hawks overhead. Like this is an amazing scene and I'm alive and I'm clean. I'm sober. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. And so turning, yeah, the woe is me into a kind of a declaration and an affirmation. Oh, that's so powerful, man. The pity party. Yeah, recovery, everybody has the petty party, man. And here you are out there having a long one, but yet that's something you got to work through. Totally. Big cry, baby, but yeah, turn into something, something good here. So. And you are so real, man. I, I, I'm just so fortunate. I'm grateful I met you. I've, and happy Father's Day, by the way. Hey, back at you. <laughs> Thank you. What is something unique about you? Something unique about me. Um, I uh, so I, I'm though yeah, I'm kind of, I have some energy during our conversations. I'm really enjoying this. I'm actually a pretty introverted guy, and my uh, one thing I like to do is I like to play chess. Actually, I have ten games going on right now <laughs> with various friends around the world, and yeah, so I, I play like hours of hours and hours and hours of chess each week. Um, and so yeah, that maybe that's a little unique about. Uh, about me and recovery and me and my running. So. Nice, nice. What is the last question is, what is the funniest thing that has happened to you over the past year? Or one of the funniest things? The funny, one of the funniest things. I am, um, one of them is, my, so I have two nieces who like, mean the world to me, Hannah and Anora. Uh, Hannah's uh, about to be five, Anora just turned two. And they are, uh, so Hannah's turned into a bit of a runner. And so she loves watching you know, Uncle Gray run. And I, I, I run from my place over to theirs all the time. And my uh, a funny kind of soap opera with the three of us is Hannah knows that running requires lots of energy, so she'll always give me Cheez-Its, because uh, I love Cheez-Its. Uh, and those are Anora, the two-year-old's favorite snack. And so Anora is always really worried that Uncle Greg is going to eat all the Cheez-Its. And so she, she frequently has a meltdown, oh, he's eating all the Cheez-Its, while Hannah's feeding me there. So it's, it's our little soap opera continuously developing. She's, she sees you coming in the distance. <laughs> oh, there's the oh, cheese of hammer. Did you eat my snacks? Get out of here. And Greg probably left out the part that actually runs over to their house and it's probably like 50 miles. <laughs> yeah, luckily, it's, uh, it's about eight miles. miles. So, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, good job, Edison. <laughs> All right. Well, any closing thoughts, man? I, uh, I would love to actually stay in touch with, with folks listening. I, uh, I have a little running blog um, where I post little photos and reflections on the recovery process and on training for the Run Across America. I do that on Instagram at, at Greg Runs Far. And so, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, you can check me at gregrunsfar.com or gregrunsfar on Instagram. And I would, I would love to connect. So actually send me a DM or send me an email. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear more of your story, more of what you're working on, if there are challenges on the horizon, what's kind of exciting to you. And I also love to help and be a resource because hundreds and hundreds of people have helped me get to where I am. And I want to pay it forward if I can. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And we can post all that stuff on the links when we post the show too as well. Maybe we'll do a follow-up show with you as well. We'd love that. I'd love to kind of see how things are going. And I want to, yeah, next time around, I would love to ask you a few too on your book, your Ironman training. And also you've learned a ton in, you know, from your advantage in the recovery community. And so I'm I'm grateful for you convening yahoos like me to to share part of the message. And uh, yeah, thank you for being a leader here. And I am going to hit you up for some Wisconsin miles there before too long. Yes. Yes. Get full potential Ted back running. All right. I love it. Dude. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, man, please. take care. You as well. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Hey there, Recovery Nation. Producer John here again. Thank you so much to Greg Nance for sharing his time with us. You can keep up with Greg and his endeavors at gregnance.org. If you liked today's episode, you can subscribe, leave a review, and listen to past episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. And visit fullpotentialnow.org for your free TED tools, including where to find a rehab center near you. This episode was produced by Ted Isidore and me, John Procruzzi. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.